You've made a budget, right? You know, a plan for how you're going to spend your paycheck every month. Feeding your family versus paying the credit card bill versus saving up for a vacation. Hard decisions. And then there's the even harder job of actually following your plan. But imagine making decisions with $28 billion, making decisions for an entire state. Missouri House has made its decisions for the year ahead, and their budget could have a real impact on the lives of children and college students and the elderly and pretty much everyone else in the state. But will that be the budget that ends up guiding how much comes out of the state's wallet and for what? I'm Brian Ellison. How we spend the state's money on this episode of State House Blend, Missouri. The budget. I know, I know, not the sexiest of political topics. It's not like tax cuts or Medicaid expansion. And yet, the budget's the big story of every year. You could say it's the most consequential thing lawmakers do every year, deciding what to do with all that money, our money. Will more schools get built or more roads and bridges? Will the sick get treated or the elderly housed? The budget affects our lives every day. And we may not notice that until we do. Last week, the Missouri House passed a budget, one that differed in some substantial ways from the governor's proposal for this year. But how do legislators know what it means for them to go their own way? And what tools does the governor have in his toolbox to get his way? To help us sort it all out, we've enlisted Tracy Gleason. She's the director of communications at the Missouri Budget Project, a nonprofit research and analysis organization. I wanted to know, if we were to imagine the budget as a big pizza, which slices would be the biggest? When you hear the legislators discussing appropriations for various things, they're mostly focused on state general revenue, which only makes up about a third of the state's budget. And general revenue, that's the money that comes in from taxes. Right, right. And so when you pay your income taxes, your sales taxes, there's a few other sources, that provides the state's general revenue, which is about a third of that overall big pizza. What's the rest of it? um, About a third is federal revenue, and the other third is is dedicated revenue. So we have specific purposes that certain taxes go to, like the fuel tax, which is dedicated to transportation. Okay, so for the part that they do... Uh, get to argue over, there's really a a few big things that they spend a lot of state money on, right? Right, right. Elementary and secondary education makes up more than a third. Health and social services make up about 30%. So those are like the two biggest pieces, um, and then higher ed follows that. So let's talk a little bit about uh, kind of the process before we get into the specifics of of what they've done in the past week and actually months. This process does not begin when the House first starts debating these bills. Take us all the way back to the beginning. This this budget they've been talking about that starts uh, July 1st of, of this year, when did they first start working on it? Well, the department started working on it over the summer. So the department's A year in advance. Yes. Yeah. So they start looking at their needs and kind of based on previous year's fundings, trends, things like that. Um, And they submit their budget request to an office of administration within the state government. And the office of administration works for the governor, right? Correct. Right. Right. The governor then takes those numbers and in coordination with House and Senate leaders, they come up with what's called a consensus revenue estimate. And that is an estimate based on trends and best guesses what money will be available for the legislature to spend that following year. Um, Now, again, that's just a best guess. Sometimes they're pretty close, and sometimes they've missed the mark 
by a significant amount. The budget process is kind of an ongoing process that lasts all year, making little corrections for that along the way. So at the start of the session, or actually not quite the start of the session, it seems to be getting later in the session, but the governor brings a budget proposal to legislators. Correct. And they bring that that um, that proposal, but but the legislators don't have to do what the governor wants. No, they can adjust in any way that they see fit. Um, so, okay, they, they do go through a process then. So what does the, the House Budget Committee and the Senate Appropriations Committee, uh, for that matter, what do they do with these numbers that, that the governor sends them? The House often kind of starts their process even earlier, hearing from the committees um, and hearing about the needs and what was included in their original department requests. But after, you know, and after they get the governor's budget and then after hearing testimony from both the departments and from the public, they present their recommendations to the full budget committee. Um, and that budget committee made up of legislators from across the state can accept it, they can amend it, they can reject it, and then it proceeds to the House floor, which that is what happened this past week, is the House debated on the floor the budget recommendations. They passed their bill, and then we'll send it on to the Senate. So the Senate um, doesn't come up with its own proposal in the first place. They, they wait for the House to send them something. Correct. So that's the moment we're at in the process right now. What happens next? Does the, does the Senate committee have more hearings, or are they ready to vote? They go to the Senate Appropriations Committee, which will tinker with and debate those bills before sending that budget to the entire Senate. And so the Senate then might approve, in fact, usually does approve a budget that is not exactly the same as the House's. So then they have to appoint a, a conference committee, right? Right, right. And that generally happens in April or May that select members of the House Budget Committee and the Senate Appropriations Committee, they meet to, to reach a compromise on the differences between their two budgets. So after they do finally agree on something, and let's say the House then approves it and the Senate approves it, it goes to the governor, but the process still isn't over, right? Because in Missouri, the governor can, can veto particular line items out of the budget, right? Right. So he can actually say, I like everything in this except the $80 million you gave to higher education. I'm going to make that zero. Right. What happens when he does that? Well, the legislature does have an opportunity in September. Annually, they they meet for a veto session, and they can consider overriding the governor's vetoes at that time. And that requires a two-thirds vote, of course. Right. That's the process. Let's talk about how that has uh, come into action in this past week. The, the House just approved those 13 bills uh, to be the budget. Um, and, and you mentioned that we, we do have to be clear about where that money is coming from. One of the real wild cards, it seems to me, is that this year the legislature is also debating various proposals to change the tax rates in the state. Um, there's a proposal to raise the gas tax. There's a proposal to cut. There's actually multiple proposals to, to cut the highest income tax rates by various amounts. That seems like all of those things might have an impact on the on that revenue estimate, that, that starting place that you talked about. Absolutely. And there is some concern in the legislature and in legislative leadership particularly among those that sit on these budget and appropriations committees, that they're already stretched too thin and having to make very difficult decisions. And when they look at having an even smaller pie, they're not sure how they're going to make ends meet. And so it'll be interesting to see how that process plays out, because in Missouri there have already been a ton of cuts that when you compare us to other states, we, we don't look so hot. And when you cut further, 
it's going to show up. And, and, you know, oftentimes the budget is mostly in the background, and mm-hmm. people don't really think about all these numbers in a spreadsheet until, they, until something's wrong. Right. And then they start seeing the daily impact on their lives, um, which we saw a lot in Kansas. And Missouri is a little bit more like the frog in the fi- frying pan, where kind of it, it's a slow simmer and people haven't really noticed some of the results the way they have in Kansas. Until the frog is dead. Right. One of the people who's had a big part in shaping this year's budget is Kip Kendrick. He's a representative from Columbia. He's also the top Democrat on the House Budget Committee. He doesn't usually shy away from criticizing his Republican House colleagues who, let's be honest, with their big majorities, hold just about all the cards in this process. But he's been remarkably positive about the budget that this year they've worked out together. For the resources available to us this year, um, it, it's a responsible budget, but it's also it's a snapshot of where we are or where we expect to be for fiscal year 19. We're still reeling from many of the cuts that took place in FY18 uh, across the board, whether it's higher education or services for seniors, people with disabilities. Uh, there, there were many programs that we wish we could have done more for to help this year, uh, but you know, given given the current situation, I, I felt like we we've come to a, a reasonable and responsible place in the house. And, you know, I will say that the House, we seem to work together a little bit better this year, especially in pushing back against some of the proposed cuts by the governor, as well as uh, some of the new decision items that he was uh, that he was requesting. Yeah, I mean, is it is it fair to say that there was less deference shown to the uh, to the governor's proposal this year? I, yeah, I, I believe so. This year, with the cuts pretty much solely on on higher education in order to fund some of uh, the governor's new proposals, new new decision items, we finally had an honest discussion for the first time in a while about higher education, the importance of higher education to the state of Missouri. And and in some ways, I, I really do think it unified the, the House Budget Committee uh, and finding ways to, to undo most of those cuts. Not to reduce it all to, to puppies and roses and, and rainbows. I mean, what, uh, what did you not get that you would have liked to see in this budget? I think we would have liked to have seen more done to try to undo some of the damage that was done last year to seniors uh, with the rollback of the MORX program, a prescription drug benefit program for seniors in the donut hole, uh, that 85 to 185% of the federal poverty level, they were 63,000 seniors were wiped out of that program. There is also some pretty dramatic cuts to consumer-directed services as well. Uh, services for individuals with disabilities uh, often taking place inside their home, uh, you know, helping them get out of bed, get dressed, bathed, uh, you know, if they have jobs, getting them off to work. Things that, you know, the daily living tasks that are, that are critical for all of us, especially more challenging for individuals with disabilities, limited mobility. Uh, there was a 60% cost cap put on that program last year, a pretty pretty significant cut for, for people with disabilities uh, receiving services, uh, many lost hours, you know, some lost services altogether. So we were, you know, I, I'm hopeful in the future that we can, that we can come up with a, with a solution to, to restore those, that money, but we were not able to get that done this year. There may be a bill moving in the Senate looking at a long-term solution for funding for those programs. But yeah, I mean, it's, as I said in the beginning, FY19, I feel like we've come to a reasonable 
uh, place on funding. So you mentioned the the restoration of the cuts to higher education. Uh, In the middle of that higher education debate uh, on uh, Thursday, there was also sort of a policy debate that that broke out around whether language that currently bars uh, dreamers, uh, undocumented um, uh, immigrants who enter the country as children, uh, from getting in-state tuition. And there was an effort by some of your colleagues in the House, your Democratic colleagues, to, uh, to take that language out. Yeah, you know, th- this has a, a been a problem um, for several years now. Uh, and but basically, we denied uh, DREAMers access to the A-plus program and then also put language in the budget bill that would make the uh, DREAMers also pay out-of-state or international tuition rates, whichever were higher, uh, rather rather than getting in-state tuition. And I had a, a young woman in my district who was a, a senior in high school at that point. She'd already signed her A-plus scholarship uh, to participate in the program, and that was taken from her because she'd yet to start the program. She then found herself in a situation where she would have to pay international tuition rates. So she basically went from, um, you know, free community college to having to pay over $270 per credit hour without being able to access federal financial aid. And it just made higher education impossible for her. Uh, this was a young woman who had a 3.6 GPA, worked two part-time jobs, was a single parent. Came here, no, you know, no fault of her own, uh, one year old, and had been raised in this country, had done everything we'd asked her to, but yet we were making policy decisions that were just going, that were going to keep her in, likely in poverty the rest of her life. I remember, you know, having to break the news to her about all of this. She cried, and I, you know, I, it was hard not to, to shed tears with her. It was, it was very dramatic, uh, traumatic for her. I think uh, the Republicans who, who, who voted down that, that attempt would say, hey, these are limited state funds, uh, they really should go to legal residents of the state. Try to remind people as often as possible that the, the DREAMers do have legal status. Uh, they, DACA and Deferred Action still has legal status here in the United States. The subsidy that's provided through uh, in-state tuition uh, you know, can be a, a significant amount of money. But at the same time, these individuals pay taxes and they live in our community. They pay sales tax. They often pay property tax. You know, if they have uh, a legal status, then they're they're paying also income uh, tax when you know when she's working when she's legally working two jobs she was paying all the taxes. You know, to to deny that group access uh, to keep them held back, yeah, we just we feel is unacceptable. We talked about higher education. We talked about uh, social services. The other enormous part of the state budget is elementary and secondary education. Um, talking about the next steps of this process, you made some comments uh, on the floor this week about suspecting that the House will have to defend some of its positions. Uh, and I think you were talking about K-12 education. What did you mean by that? We did all that we could. Uh, the bipartisan effort to, to make sure that we could put as much money into um, K-12 education as possible. And we got to about $99 million, just short of $99 million of, of new money to the foundation formula. Some of them have talked about wanting to use some of it for uh, transportation, uh, that is, school buses. Um, I mean, is that, a, is that a problem? The kids have to get to school to get the education you're funding. They do. Uh, you know, it, it's a problem. What we're, I believe, at about $200 million below the high water mark on school transportation funding. Uh, and that's that's a significant amount of money uh, underfunding school transportation. You know, we felt as a as a, a budget committee uh, putting more of that money towards the foundation formula 
um, was probably as important than than putting additional money towards school transportation, but it but it's still a critical issue. You know, one of the things about Missouri government is that the governor has a line item veto on on appropriations bills. Uh, what's to stop him from from pretty much undoing the work, even the bipartisan work that, that you've talked about on a lot of this, uh, zeroing out some of these lines that that you all have have said were priorities? I that is um, that's a good point. I, you know, I mean, I think that we can get the budgets out of our hands at this point too it's over in the senate side but i hope the senate can move on it fairly quickly and that we can get the uh get the conference early get the budget bills on the governor's desk prior to the end of session um in order to you know hopefully run out the clock uh on his uh power to veto while we're still in session to override those vetoes we have we have some authority. We've got that Amendment 10 that was passed a few years ago that gives us the the, the power to override a, a withhold uh, should that become a problem. And obviously, we can you know if we have enough votes, we can override uh, vetoes as well. We we've not mentioned transportation, which is the, another significant portion of the state budget. And the the budget that you just passed in the House does not assume any increase to the state's gas tax, which is uh, among the lowest in the nation. And um, there are proposals coming out of uh, the Senate, at least, uh, that might increase that gas tax by some amount. How would that change the overall character of this budget? Does that free up more money or does that just mean more money is going to go to transportation, which which may itself be a good thing? Yeah, no, it would be a good thing, right? I mean, it's needed. I, I think that's I don't know. I mean, I'm still optimistic that we can that we can get something done. Cautiously optimistic we can get something done in the House and the Senate to, to at least get the a proposal out there on the on the on the ballot to have it voted on by the people. Um, you know, it would it wouldn't necessarily free up any general revenue. We're we're putting no money uh, in general revenue towards MoDOT at this point or for for road and road and bridge infrastructure. That uh, would definitely help. Any type of gas tax increase would definitely help us stop spending down our reserves in MoDOT at an alarming rate, in my opinion, to make sure that we can continue to meet our federal highway matching funds in the future and make sure that we can uh, you know, fund road and bridge infrastructure appropriately. We're having to plug uh, quite a bit of the hole right now in funding for MoDOT with the reserves, uh, with the MoDOT reserves. And that's that's no way to to meet a federal highway match. That's um, that's a dangerous situation you put your state in. You you spend down the reserves that's taken years and years and years to, to build up, and then and you're in a world hurt. So hopefully we can get something done. Uh, again, we're we're early in the process on on the budget. Uh, the budget out of the house. Uh, it's getting over to the Senate. I'm sure there's going to be some significant differences uh, between the House and the Senate that we'll have to work out in conference. Uh, so it's still a lot to go, um, but you know I'm glad glad we're at least done with the House portion for right now, and then we'll see uh, what kind of damage the Senate does to it. <laughs> the budget ball is now in the Senate's court. The House and Senate have six weeks to get their ideas together and send something to the governor. We'll be following that. Until then, you can keep up with all the other Missouri politics news by following me on Twitter. I'm at PTS Brian. You can also listen to KCUR, where our show is produced. Matt Hodap is our producer. 
If you're in the Kansas City area, don't forget we are having a live taping of the podcast on Thursday, April 19th. We'll be talking about guns and gun policy in the state with lawmakers. We're doing that at the Buffalo Room at Westport Flea Market. Mark your calendars, and as the day approaches, you can get more information online at kcur.org slash statehouseblend. I'm Brian Ellison. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.